Well, before we get into the scriptures today, a little bit of a disclaimer. This talk or this message, it is quite possible that it will bother some of you. I guess you could say that what I'm giving right here is what you would call in, in this time a trigger warning. This message, it is possible it might get under your skin. It is possible that it might anger or frustrate you. And I want to encourage you to acknowledge that that frustration or any anger that you might experience as a result of this message, it may be what the Bible calls your flesh. We all have that. We all have what the scriptures call the old man or the old woman, our old nature. It is that part of us that comes out when we are hungry or stressed or we're sick or we're tired. It is that piece of you that snaps at your spouse when they say to you, did you forget to, or with some sort of tone, they just kind of say something to you and it, it pushes that proverbial button and you kind of snap back at them. That is what the Bible calls your flesh. And I'm sure you know exactly what I am talking about. This aspect of us, our, our sinful nature, our carnal nature, it has shown its face in each of us this week, maybe even for you this morning, you've already kind of started off the day in the wrong way. You might say, oh, I woke up, I, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. And so you, you've already experienced a little bit of that, that flesh rising up to where you can see it. So it's possible that this message, this talk may stir your flesh. But what I am intending to say today it is meant, just like every time when we come to the scriptures together here at Cross Connection Church, what I am intending to say today is meant to help you grow in Christlikeness. It is meant to foster what the Bible calls the new man or the new woman. One of my favorite passages that talks about this is found in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4. There we read this in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 22. Put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now guess what? This whole process of putting off the old man and putting on the new man, my work as a pastor is very much meant to help you do this, to make this a reality in your life. Just before Paul says those words in Ephesians chapter four, where he says, put off the old man and put on the new man, Paul says this, Ephesians chapter four, beginning at verse 11. And Jesus gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why did he call some to be evangelists, pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, note that in your Bible, to a perfect person, a mature person, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be as children. My work and calling as a pastor is to help you to grow into mature, Christ-like men and women, 
to equip you to be obedient followers of Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple, that you are an obedient follower of Jesus. So my calling as a pastor actually came from this passage in Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 14, or right around that passage. I, I remember reading that when I was first asked to begin teaching the Bible more than 22 years ago. And I, I read those words that Jesus is the one who's called some, some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So that's my calling is to equip and enable you to be what God has called you to be to grow into an obedient follower of Jesus. But let me let you in on something that I've observed in the last several months. The happenings, and I, I think you probably have seen this as well, the happenings of 2020 and 2021, they have in many ways brought out our flesh. They have caused that old nature that carnality of us to come more to the surface so that we see it. It's more evident to us. It's more evident to those people who live with us or work with us. It's very, very clear. I'm sure you've noticed this. The happenings of 2020 and 2021 have been almost like gasoline, an accelerant pulled, poured out on some smoldering coals, the smoldering coals of our flesh, which maybe you as a follower of Jesus have been trying to suppress and trying to put out, but they're still there. They're still kind of lingering there under the surface. And then things like 2020, 2021, it's like an accelerant poured on that fresh oxygen breathed on those coals that have been suppressed for a long time. And so I would say you've probably noticed this. I've noticed this. I've noticed this in myself. We, we can be a little bit on edge. And maybe you have sensed this in the impatience that you see in yourself, the impatience for your spouse, the impatience for traffic, the impatience for your kids, the impatience for coworkers. You might have seen that impatience come to the surface. And it seems like it comes out a little bit more after the last year and a half that we've all gone through. Maybe you have seen this in the way that you're just a little bit more snappy and snippy with people. I've certainly seen it in myself. I'll confess that I see it in myself a little bit. I've got to repent of that to the Lord. So I said that this was going to be a little bit of a disclaimer. I'm giving this as a trigger warning so that you recognize that some of the things that I'm going to be saying in this message, they are not meant to kind of push your buttons, but they are meant to help us to see these things brought to the surface so that we can confess them and that we can grow in Christ-likeness. That's one of the things that I believe that God does in our lives. He allows us to go through what the Bible calls the testing of our faith. And as we go through trials, as we go through tests, that testing of our faith, James says in James chapter one, that it produces patience. How does it produce patience? Well, it draws up the impatience. It draws up frustration. It draws up anger. It draws all this stuff to the surface and we get to acknowledge, we get to see that it's there so that we can confess it to the Lord. And here is the great promise of the scriptures, that as we confess our sins, our God is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So God wants to make us into a new creation. He wants us to be holy and completely new. So we see that we're to put off the old man and to put on the new man in Ephesians chapter four. We see there in Ephesians chapter four that pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles, this whole group of leaders within the church, they are given by Christ for the work of equipping and perfecting and maturing Christians to be what it is that God wants them to be, to be fashioned more into the image of Christ. 
I want to look at one more passage in that same chapter, Ephesians chapter 4. It's a passage that is just filled with really great truths. If you haven't read through Ephesians chapter 4 in a while, you might want to take some time as homework this week to read through Ephesians chapter 4. In fact, just read through the whole book of Ephesians. It's only six chapters. Take a chapter a day. You'll be done by next Saturday. So, great passage. But Ephesians chapter 4, look at the opening words of Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Paul says this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, beg you, that you would walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all loneliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. And then notice this, verse three, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Let me just say those words again. Verse three, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. God wants us to walk in humility. He wants us to walk in gentleness and patience. He wants us to put up with other people's issues graciously, putting in the effort, the work to maintain unity and peace within the body of Christ, the church. He wants us to work to do these things. These are the hallmarks of the church. These are the marks of true Christians. I want you to really think about this for a moment. Humility, gentleness, patience, grace, peace, meekness, unity. These are the hallmarks of the church and they should be the marks of Christians like, like me and hopefully like you if you're a follower of Jesus. I'm sure you remember the old adages that you should avoid the topics of politics and religion. And I found that that is practically impossible for me. For one, religion is kind of like my job. I mean, I'm a pastor, I lead a church, I teach at Bible colleges, all these sorts of things. So when it comes to religion and staying away from the topic of religion, that's pretty much impossible for me. That's what I think about, that's what I write about, that's what I talk about, that's what I've been studying for more than two decades. So it's very hard for me to avoid the topic of religion. But not only is it hard for me to avoid the topic of religion, I've also been one of those people for a very long time since before I was an adult, I've been very interested in the political happenings of our nation and the world. I am normally pretty well read about all the things that are going on here in our nation and throughout the world politically. I don't watch any TV news. We don't have cable TV, so I'm not watching CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, any of those sort of things. But I consume a lot of news through the internet and through podcasts and all kinds of different things, and, and you probably do as well. And avoiding the topics of politics and religion is practically impossible for most of us in 2021, especially after all that has been going on in the last 16, 18 months. And in the last 20 years especially, politics has really found its way into every aspect of life, including the church. And so now virtually everything is political. Sports are political. I'm sure some of you have been watching the Olympics. Uh, maybe not. Um, viewership of the Olympics seems to be at an all-time low uh, in the modern era anyway. And, and so, you know, we see that politics has taken hold of sports, whether it's the Olympics or it's baseball or it's basketball. Go down the list. Every single one of the leagues that people watch has become political. Sports is political. Business has become incredibly political. Restaurants seem to be political. Medicine and science has been 
politicized in a huge way. And church has become very, very political. And politics are polarizing and divisive. One of the most polarizing and divisive things is politics. And we see that in our culture right now. And so as a result of the politicization of nearly everything in our culture, we are very divided today. Our, our nation is very, very divided. And, and here is the crazy thing. I, I heard this years ago. I didn't come up with this on my own. But when I heard it years ago, when I first heard it, it really, it, it was like a light went on. It stuck out to me. And, and a person said, I don't even remember who said it, but I remember a person saying, in the 21st century, in our culture here in the West, it is very uncommon for someone to change their politics because of church. But it is overly common for people to change their church because of politics. Let me just say that again. In our current culture, it is very rare for someone to change their politics because of church. But it is very common for people to change their church because of politics. And this is especially true in the last year. And I think that this truth says, it says something about us that you may not like. And if you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. We have far too much carnality and far too little Christ-likeness. Looking at the division within the body of Christ, the church, I think one of the things it says is that we have far too much carnality and far too little Christ-likeness. So there's the trigger warning. Here's another trigger warning. We'll just throw this out. This might bother you, might ruffle your feathers a little bit, get underneath your skin and recognize that it may be God by his Holy Spirit just kind of touching on an area of our lives to say, hey, this is something we need to consider whether or not it is not something that God wants in our lives. Right now, you, as I say, that we, we are filled with too much carnality and not enough Christ like this. You may think to yourself, no, not me. But let me read to you from Paul's letter to the church at Corinth to highlight this, his first letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says this, that it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household. The church used to gather together in homes, and one of the homes that gathered there in the city of Corinth where the church was gathered together was a woman named Chloe. So those in Chloe's household, they were gathered together for connect group, for church. And so Paul says, it has been declared to me, reported to me concerning you, the church at Corinth, from those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now, I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am Cephas, of Cephas, Peter, or I'm of Christ. And then Paul asks the question, is Christ divided? So Paul says to the church at Corinth, as he writes this letter, to rebuke them. He's, he's really writing to challenge them because of their carnality. He says, listen, I've heard a report about you there in the church, and there is all kinds of dissension and division and carnality. And some of you are saying, I'm of Paul. And then others are saying, I'm of Apollos, another well-known teacher to the church at Corinth. Or I'm of Peter. There was all these factions, divided groups within the church. And Paul asked the question, is this the way that Christ wants his body to be? Is Christ divided? So not just that passage, but a few chapters later in the same book, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. You're like little babies in Christ. 
I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Now again, you may object when I read those words and kind of challenge areas in us as Christians where we might be a little fleshly, a little carnal. You may object and say, I, I don't see any connection to Corinth and our church in this day. We, we don't have envy and strife and divisions. We're, we're doing just fine here at Cross Connection Church. And I wish I could say that I wholeheartedly agree with that. I wish I could say that that is true. But let me prove just a little bit that I think that we are maybe a little bit carnal as the body of Christ and acting, as Paul says, like, like mere men. And when he says that we're acting like mere men, he's implying that we should be different. There should be something characteristically different about the way that we live our lives. So I'm going to say some words. I'm just going to throw these words out there to kind of see. Are, it's kind of like a carnality test. Have we become a little bit fleshly? I'm going to throw out some words and they might, they might trigger you. So get ready. So first word, masks, vaccines. Here's a good one. Newsome or Fauci. How about this little acronym? CDC, Trump, January 6th, Pelosi, shutdowns, COVID. Now, those words, they have a way of kind of like like ratcheting up our tension. And, and maybe even those words have a certain association. There's a certain image, a certain thought that comes to your mind when you hear those words. And the question is, are we not maybe a little bit more carnal than God would desire that we, his people, his church, the expression of Christ here in this world, that we're a little bit more carnal than we ought to be. Maybe that we are behaving like mere men and women. And God's desire is that we be not divided within the body, the church, by all of these things that divide the rest of the world. So God's desire is that we grow in Christ's likeness and we die to ourselves. Those are hard words for us because uh, in our culture, we're constantly told to be yourself and like heighten yourself and build yourself and, you know, glorify yourself. And yet God's desire is that we grow in Christ likeness and that we die to ourselves. There's a beautiful example of what this looks like in the gospel, specifically in the gospel of John. The gospel of John begins with the story of John the Baptist and the revelation of Jesus by John the Baptist. And then shortly after Jesus is revealed by John the Baptist, he says in John, I believe it's verse uh, 29 of chapter one, he says there, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John announces, here is the Messiah. You should follow him. And then shortly after Jesus is revealed by John the Baptist, everybody, everybody begins to follow after Jesus. Everyone was coming, flocking to John the Baptist to hear him preach and to be baptized by him. And now they begin to follow Jesus. And some of John's most committed followers, some of John's disciples, they come to him and it's recorded in John's gospel, chapter three, at the end of chapter three and verse 26, some of John's disciples came to John and they say, Rabbi, teacher, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. Everybody's following him. 
They, they come to John and they say, John, listen, that guy, Jesus, who you baptized and you said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Everybody's following him. They're not following you anymore. And John's response to this, this situation is what I would call a spirit-filled response. Look at this. John chapter 3, verse 30. John says to his most committed followers, to his disciples, he, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase and I must decrease. That's a hard truth. That's hard for us to live like that. Jesus said this in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 23. Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Let me say that again. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Again, powerful words from Jesus. And I, I remember reading those a very long time ago when I was in the youth ministry here at this church as you know, a teenager, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself daily. That, that word has always stuck out to me. It's like an every single day thing. The apostle Paul would say, I die daily. Like every day I have to put to death my flesh because it seems to get back up every single morning. In fact, I remember someone saying when I was in youth ministry, the flesh is the first thing to wake up every single day. That's definitely my experience. And we see our carnality we see our flesh in that we are divided. We are a divided nation. I don't think anybody would disagree on that point. In fact, that may be one of the, the very few things that we agree upon is that we are a divided nation. And I'm, I'm sure you've noticed this. You see it maybe in your interactions with coworkers or you see it in your interactions with other people on the campus, the school you go to. You might even see it with interactions with people within your own family. And I want to suggest to you that it's not getting better. It seems to be getting much worse. And there's a lot of things that um, leaders, cultural leaders within our society are doing to just amplify the division. And the division in our nation, they, the divisions, I shall say, within our nation, they are almost entirely political. And these divisions that are almost entirely political, they've found their way into the church. And I believe that the political divisions within the church, they reveal in a big way our carnality. They reveal that we are less Christ-like than we should be, which is a problem because the whole aim of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, leaders within the church, the whole aim within the church is to equip the body of believers, the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, that we all, would all be united together and fashioned more and more into the image of Christ, that we'd look more like Christ. And all of the divisions that have found their way into the church, they reveal the extent to which I would say we are carnal. Are you not carnal in this, in acting like mere women and men? And we are less Christ-like than we should be. Now, hopefully, that upsets you to hear me say that. It upsets me when I think about it because as I said, I'm a pastor and it is my calling to equip you to be more Christ-like. And it is my calling to not only equip you to be more Christ-like, but to be Christ-like, growing in Christ-likeness myself so that I can say to you, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's, that's been my aim for the longest time, that I can say to you, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so when I look at my calling, as a pastor, to equip you for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, that we would be united together as one in Jesus Christ. 
I, there is a sense in which I feel as though, in some ways, I've dropped the ball in, in equipping the body of Christ that God has committed to me so that we would be united together as one and showing that to this world. Now, I know that there will be some, when they hear me say that, that you'll send me a text message, you'll send me an email, maybe if you see me here at the church, you'll stop me and you'll want to encourage me and tell me that, no, pastor, you're doing a great job. And I truly do appreciate the encouragement. It does mean a lot to me, but I'm also aware of the facts. And I want to give you some of the facts that I think show that we are more divided than we ought to be. And, and these are facts just at a very local level. I'm not even going to cite facts and statistics for the state of California, the United States, the world. I just want to talk locally about this church community, Cross Connection Church, which I have had the joy and the privilege of leading and pastoring for, uh, I guess, going on 13, 14 years. I've, I don't remember at the moment, but 16 months ago, this church, Cross Connection Church, was about, I don't know, 800 adults and kids. And on an average Sunday morning, when we would gather together for three services, there were about 625 adults and kids here for services. We had three services, and we were just about to add a fourth before COVID happened. Today, here we are, a new month, August 2021, most of the way through the summer. Today, when we gather here together on a Sunday morning, we're less than 300 people on a Sunday morning, adults and kids. We have another 150, 200 viewers that watch online, connect with us online. But we don't know the full stats of those of you that watch online. Is it just one person watching? Is it two or three people watching? We don't know if you watch just like five minutes of the service or the entire service. So what, what does it account for when we see those numbers? We don't really know. We, we're not able to connect with you in the same way that we would like to be able to connect as the church. We're called to connect with one another through the scriptures and through fellowship with one another, through prayer with one another, worship together, all these different ways. So, so that is the fact for this local church. And I want to I suggest to you that that is the fact, not just for this local church that we have dropped significantly and been divided, but that is true for nine out of 10 other churches in our community and in our nation as well. The stats are very, very clear. A lot of people have been separated from their church, divided from their church. Most churches have experienced this fallout as a result of all the things that have gone on in 2020. And I got to be honest, when Whenever, or I should say candid, when, when COVID first started in March of 2020, there was a part of me that thought that this was going to really cause people to gather together and really seek the Lord. And when it became very political, then it started to push people away because politics is inherently divisive. Now, there are some churches, and I, I know I've seen and you've probably seen as well, there are some churches that have grown through everything that has happened in 2020 and 2021. But I'm going to be very candid and frank with you. You show me a church that has grown in the last year, and I will show you a church that has capitalized on people's baser and more carnal tendencies. It, it has capitalized on their, their desire to be divisive. And, and I know that, that that won't come across great, but that, that is the reality. Now, another fact to point out and is this, I'm not worried about Cross Connection Church. I know that God is doing a good work here at this church, but the extent to which we've seen a departure in 2020 and 2021 is the extent, I will say, to which we are carnal. 
And there has been what I would call a pruning. I've talked about this before on our broadcast. There's been a pruning. And it is, sad to say, a pruning of unfruitful branches. I don't like to say that, but that is the reality. And this reality, it isn't entirely bad because I do believe that the result of pruning is future fruitfulness because our growth and fruitfulness sometimes requires pruning. That, that's just a reality. Now, I'm not like a big farmer. I'm not a big you know, guy who takes care of orchards or anything like that. But I do know with the limited understanding that I do have that there has to be pruning. I remember when my wife and I, when we first bought our very first house back in 2008, in the backyard, virtually everything in the entire yard was dead because it was a foreclosure and the water hadn't been turned on. And so the yard was complete, a complete mess. There was basically one thing in the yard that was still green. It was this giant grapevine. And it was growing all over the place. It looked really, really great. It had shoots going off like 20, 30 feet off into trees and all this sort of thing. Uh, but there was no fruit on it whatsoever. Beautiful vine, very lush and green, but no fruit. And so I talked with a friend and he said, well, we're gonna have to cut it back a whole bunch. And we cut that thing back to the point where it looked completely dead. And he said, it's gonna take some time for it to put out some new shoots. We'll need to direct it. We built a trellis. We did this whole thing, like two or three years of us cutting this thing back in different ways and guiding it before finally, at one point, we got something like 40 pounds of grapes off this one vine. It was amazing. But our growth in fruitfulness, it sometimes requires pruning. Jesus said this in the Gospel of John chapter 15, a passage that maybe you've read before. It's a familiar passage. Jesus says, John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the vine dresser, takes away, he prunes. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may be more fruitful. God's desire is that you and I would bear much fruit. That his church, Cross Connection Church, or the other churches in our community, that these churches would bear much fruit. And so as a result, we have been pruned. So in this present pruned state, and that's exactly where we are, a pruned state, a bare tree, if you will. In this present pruned state, what do we need to do? What ought we do as a church so that we can fulfill the calling and the mission that God has given to us, the purpose for which he created his church to reach this community, Escondido and San Marcos and Valley Center and Poway and Rancho Bernardo and Fallbrook and Bonsall and all these areas around us, Southern California, the, the nation, the world. What is it that we in this prune state need to do so that we can fulfill the work that God has for us and be fruitful? I've been thinking a lot about this for the last several months and very much about this over the last couple of weeks as I was on a vacation with my family. We did a, a huge driving loop. We drove up to visit some friends in Santa Barbara and then we went up to Shasta and then we went up to Bend, Oregon with some of my family and then back down to Reno to visit my brother who lives there. And then we drove back uh, this last week on Thursday night, finally got home. And during a lot of that time, I was driving and thinking a lot about these things. What do we need to do as Christians, as a church here at Cross Connection Church? First thing first, we need to regroup and strengthen the things that remain. Now, some of you are, you know, regular Bible readers. And so you caught those last words when I said strengthen the things that remain. And you might, that might remind you of a passage of scripture. 
And that's from the book of Revelation. And so if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 1. Now in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, we have seven letters from Jesus to seven churches that were in Asia. The churches were in cities like Ephesus and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. So all these different churches in this area in Asia Minor, which is modern day Western Turkey. And, and Jesus is giving a letter to each of these seven churches. And in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, we have the letter to the church at Sardis. We read this in Revelation 3, verse 1. And to the angel of the church at Sardis write, now remember, these words are from Jesus. These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, he says to the church, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. There's those words. Be watchful, be alert, wake up and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not wake up, watch. I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know the hour that I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's a whole lot here in these passages in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 in these seven letters to these seven churches. And if you've never studied it or you'd like something of a refresher on it, you can go to our website. Go to lifeinconnection.com and in the search bar, just search for cross-examined. Because I did a series a number of years ago called Cross-Examined on these seven letters to these seven churches. Now when you read these seven letters to these seven churches, you find that most Christians want to be identified with the church in the city of Philadelphia, the city with the church that was the faithful church. And no one wants to be in the loveless church in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through about verse 6, the loveless church in Ephesus that had left its first love, or the lukewarm church in Laodicea, the very last church. No one wants to be a part of the loveless church or the lukewarm church. They want to be a part of the faithful church. And they think, I'm one of the faithful ones, and I'm a part of the faithful church, and I'm not lukewarm, and I'm not loveless. And, and I think many within the American church, unfortunately, may have moved from being a part of the loveless church at Ephesus or the lukewarm church at Laodicea to being a part of the almost dead church. The church at Sardis here in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. Jesus says, you have a name that you're alive. You, you look really good that you're alive but you are dead. It's like that vine that was in my backyard. You look at it and you go, man, it's shooting off vines all over the place. It's green, it's beautiful, but there's no fruit. Or like the fig tree that Jesus cursed in the gospels when he came into Jerusalem, he sees there's a fig tree there and it looks lush and green, but as he starts to look, there's no fruit. And so Jesus would say to the church of Sardis, and I think Jesus would say to the church in America, not just Cross Connection Church, but the churches, that make up the body of Christ, the church in America today or throughout the world, he would say, wake up, be watchful, be alert and strengthen the things that are still alive that are about to die. Maybe there needs to be like some spiritual CPR or like a spiritual AED attached to the church to wake us up, that we would be awakened. And you know, there were the great awakenings of the church 
um, in the 17th and 18th century. And we need a great awakening of the church in our day. Unfortunately, there's been a great awakening of the church in the 21st century, and it's not been very good. It's actually caused incredible division within the body of Christ. Now, this certainly isn't the lowest point for the church in church history. I have studied church history a lot, very extensively. And I, the church is not going to die. When I say the church, I'm talking about the capital C church, all of the churches that comprise the body of Christ. It's not going to die. But there has been a pruning. There has been a winnowing, a purging of the chaff and the wheat. And there, there is a remnant that continues. And I hope that we are a part of that, that remnant that is fruitful. So the church is not going to die. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. He will build his church and it will continue until he calls his church to be with him and to rule and reign in his kingdom. So we look forward to that. And I'm optimistic about the future, just like Pastor Mark said in our vision last week. But let me share with you what I see are probably the most dangerous hazards for the church at this moment going forward. The most dangerous hazards for the church are not, note this, are not politicians and politics. The church has endured much worse politicians, politics, and political regimes throughout its history than what it is facing right now here in the United States of America. The most dangerous hazards for the church are not shutdowns and mask mandates. We actually have walked through those things in the last year and a half. We, we've gone through that sort of stuff. The most dangerous hazards for the church are not viruses and vaccines. This too shall pass. The church has gone through times of, of very challenging epidemics, pandemics, sicknesses, all these sorts of things. The most dangerous pitfall, note this, the most dangerous pitfalls for the church are internal debates, dissensions, divisions within the body of Christ. Over all other things, those are the most dangerous pitfalls. What is it that kills unity within the church and ultimately kills churches? It is when we divide on things and we start to cut one another off because the other person holds a different view or opinion than we do. So if you find in yourself this feeling of division towards other people who are Christians, who are in your local church, who are part of Cross Connection Church, and you find yourself looking at other people who believe differently or think differently than you do on things like vaccines and masks. And if you find yourself looking at someone else who has a different view than you, and they're a Christian, they say, I follow Jesus. I go to the same church than you. I sit in the same, you know, pews, we don't have pews, in the same chairs as you, in the same sanctuary as you on a Sunday morning. But if you look at that person and you say, that person has a different view on masks or vaccines than you do, and they are stupid and they're scared and they're a limbing or they're a communist or they're a fool, that's carnal. That's not Christ-like. You are, are slipping back into carnality and you are a part of the divisiveness problem. If you think to yourself, people that get the vaccine are stupid or scared. Remember that there are people who think if you don't get the vaccine, you're stupid and you're scared. And both of you may have your reasons for thinking the things that you think. You may have your reasons for saying, I, I, I got the vaccine or I didn't get the vaccine. And you may look at the person who thinks differently you, than you and think, well, they're only doing that because they haven't, they haven't studied, they haven't done any research, or they're just scared of the virus, or they're just scared of the vaccine. Just remember that that person who is saved by Christ, they have a different view than you. And if you've received the vaccine, I'm going to assume that you did so because 
you did some level of risk benefit analysis and you decided that I think this is best for me. And if you decided not to get the vaccine to this point, then I'm going to assume the best that you've done so by doing some level of risk benefit analysis. And you did the calculus and you decided that, well, this is the best thing for me to do for myself or for my family, whatever it is. You made those decisions as you thought about those things. And, and we need to be careful that we not point out and label other people and say, that person is anathema. They need to be cut off because they're a heretic on a political issue or a medical issue. Has nothing to do with a biblical issue. Pretty much every single person that has been cut off from our church, that has cut themselves off, notice this, cut themselves off from our church or other churches in our community over the last 16, 18 months, they have done so not because of a biblical reason. They try to mask it in a biblical reason, but it's really for a political reason. And, and I want to highlight as I kind of wrap this up today, a passage that maybe you've read before in Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 14, not Romans chapter 13. I know that's caused problems for people this whole season. I want to read from a passage in Romans chapter 14, beginning at verse 1, but um, I want to say this is the, the Miles de Benedictus paraphrased version. I've kind of cut this up a little bit, so don't get too mad at me. This isn't like the revised version of the Bible here. This isn't, you know, solid King James only. This is the MD version. So Paul says this in Romans chapter 14, accept other believers who are weak in the faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For one believes that he should get the vaccine, but another opts to not get the vaccine. Let not the one who gets the vaccine despise him who does not. And let not him who does not get the vaccine judge him who does. For God has received him. He's received both of them. Who are you to judge another, another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. One person values masks and another does not. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who wears a mask wears it to the Lord. And he who does not wear a mask to the Lord he does not wear it. He who gets the vaccine does so unto the Lord, and he gives thanks to God for it. And he who does not get the vaccine, to the Lord he does not get it, and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of, no one of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We are his possession. For unto this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall in a brother's way. So as I said, that's kind of a slight variation on the text. It's the, the M. De Ben version of the Bible. But we need to strengthen the things that remain that are about to die. And we need to be careful that we not become judging, judges of other people, not based upon the scriptures, but based upon politics or views that are cultural sort of things that divide, that divide Christians and divide churches. So how do we practically strengthen the things that remain? Well, the first thing I think we need to do is to acknowledge our carnality and repent of it. And if there are areas of our lives where we are being divisive over things that have nothing to do with the Bible, then we need to make sure that we acknowledge that that is probably not what Christ wants us to be doing and to confess it to him and to repent. If you have been spending more time reading social media and the corporate news media than spending time with God 
in the scriptures and in prayer and in fellowship with other Christians within the body of Christ. That is a problem. And if you have been openly or even just within your own heart internally judging everyone else on these issues and causing division, cut it out, <laughs> repent. So that's the first thing, repent. Second thing, as Jesus said to the church there in Sardis that was on the verge of division and death. Uh, second thing is that I, I believe the Lord wants us to get back to some very basic things. And that's why we're doing this series uh, this week and throughout the month of August. I'm calling this series, First Things First. We need to get back to some of the, the core truths about who we are as Christians. We are Christians, and that means that we are to be Christ-like. We're to be like Christ. And that means that we ought to be different than the culture around us. And right now, if you look at the culture around us, it is incredibly divided. And you look within the church, it's incredibly divided. We look just like the culture. And that is not what God would have for us. So remember what I said earlier, God's desire is that we grow in Christ-likeness. And that may mean that we need to die to ourselves. Get the vaccine or don't, that's up to you. But recognize that there are consequences to your decision either way. And you really should not judge others for what they decide to do or decide not to do. That's between them and the Lord and their family or whatever it may be. And when we bring those things into the church and just divide over those sorts of things, I think that we're being more carnal than we ought to be. And remember, if something I said this morning kind of gets under your skin, that is probably an indication that this is an area that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to, wants to deal with. He wants to prune out that branch from my life or your life. It just may be something that we need to crucify and put to death. Paul says, I die daily. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And may it be said of this church, Cross Connection Church, and all of us in particular that make up this body, that we are showing forth the light of Christ into this world and not tarnished by the things of this world, not eclipsed by the things of this world, but that we would shine brightly in a dark time that desperately needs the light of Christ, that we'd wake up and be watchful to what it is that God has called us to. So over the next four weeks coming up, we're gonna be getting back to some basic things about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a light for Christ in this world and, and how that works out in our church. So I hope that you will join with us as we get into those things. So Father God, I pray that you would be doing a work in my life in the lives of my brothers and sisters. Lord, purge out from our lives anything that is not pleasing to you. Help us to see those things, bring those things to the surface through trials and difficulties. Maybe those things have already come to the surface because of the trials that we've gone through over the last year and a half. But as they come to the surface, I pray that you would do a work in us to will and to do your good pleasure, that we would confess those things that are wrong and an offense to you. And that you would forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness and cause us to be fruitful individually and fruitful as a church. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.